a little bit of a uh, uh, an apology uh, I, for some things that I said, not things, but um, I had a man come up to me afterwards last week, and uh, he's a father, and uh, a very um, uh, capable brother, and um, he was concerned that the things that we were discussing in here, he said, I agree with everything you're saying, I'm just glad that you're saying them here, and not to our high schoolers, because our high schoolers might um, uh, take them all wrongly. And, and, you know, I think he's got a point, and I, 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 um, I'm sympathetic to the point that he's making. But in reply, I would simply say this. I know that we're trying to shield our children from just about everything we can shield them from. But, ladies and gentlemen, I think you already know without me saying this, if there is no principle within in your child, um, all of the protection that you can give them won't matter because they'll find a way all the uh, all the ways that you have sought to keep them from being exposed to evil um, unless there's a principle within it, it won't work ultimately the issue is not exposure to sin because none of us are going to succeed in keeping our kids from having that exposure the issue is the principle within and that's where we've got to labor and pour our efforts in seeing and praying that God would uh, uh, build within them that principle of holy living and righteous loving, that is, loving righteousness. Uh, I just thought I'd start like that tonight. Um, just to, kind of as a review to see if y'all have been um, listening at all, we have been analyzing for the last couple of weeks legalism or Phariseeism. Uh, I think those are somewhat synonymous. We'll just use legalism for the, our purposes tonight. And I have um, given you uh, two characteristics of legalism thus far. We're going to look at one more tonight, and we'll look at a couple uh, in two weeks from tonight. But the first characteristic of legalism was what? Self-glory. Um, that, the, that the love of the Pharisee is to be thought of one, as one thing, whether he is that or not. <clears throat> the second uh, characteristic of the Pharisee or, or legalism was what? False. It, it redefines uh, wrongly or wrongly defines um, godliness. And you remember the passage in um, Mark 7 where Jesus says, you have substituted your traditions and by so doing rendered the law of God of none effect. You have... You have emasculated the real thing by substituting that which you yourselves cooked up. And, you know, the Pharisees were good at that. They, they had a, um, uh, a system of some over 600 laws that they used to, to, to measure whether you were really godly, when, in fact, the real thing was, um, was forgotten. And, and the, um, the example that Jesus uses is that thing called Corban. Remember, I did a series called entitled Corban years ago, and Corban was simply this. Uh, instead of committing yourself to care for your parents in their elder years, if you didn't want to do that, you could just proclaim all of your resources Corban, which meant dedicated to God. And Jesus comes in and says, by your tradition, Corban, which in your little group there makes you look holy, what it has done 
is nullified the very things that I want you to do. And so thus, there is a redefinition, a wrongful def definition of genuine godliness. Now tonight, we probably move to what is the, um, probably the most serious of all in terms of characteristics of legalism, um, from my perspective, because ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, legalism will um, undervalue the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, his role is forgotten or undervalued or, or devalued or replaced or removed or however you'd like to say that. Um, and the the the, <coughs> the, um, the outworking or the impact of a legalistic framework will be that the Holy Spirit will be devalued. Now, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you will, and I'd like for you to open them with me to Second Corinthians chapter three. We don't have time to um, really deal with this passage um, in a way that it deserves, but I do want you to see a few things that are contained in what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because there's some pretty surprising statements made by Paul in this passage. Um, well, let me just begin at verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, you've heard of that text before, but look what Paul is talking about. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones... Now, what is he alluding to there? The Ten Commandments. Now, you know <coughs> that Paul is in no way trying to undercut the value and validity of the Ten Commandments. But he is saying that there is a way of using them, that is... Uh, the written law by itself it becomes a ministry of death because it, uh, the, the law by itself, by themselves, um, condemned people who did not obey. Now, Paul has no quibble with the law, but he is saying that when the law is wrongly... Um, interpreted, wrongly used, wrongly applied, wrongly represented, what it creates is a ministry of death. He even says in uh, verse 9, the ministry of condemnation. And then look with me uh, at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm not sure you can make those quick connections there. I hope you can. But number one, there is a ministry that Paul calls the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. Then there's another ministry, a ministry of reconciliation where the Holy Spirit is and where that, where that exists. There exists liberty. Well, if liberty is non-existent, then the chances are pretty good, ladies and gentlemen, that you are in a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. And what will appear to be, perhaps to some, to be a ministry that's in evangelical flavor is ultimately doing more damage to the soul than it is improving or improving the health of the soul. 
And I want to suggest to you that what happens is in legalism, like as we had mentioned earlier last week, that instead of the right application or a righteous application and righteous use of the law, there's something arises in its place. It's, it's what Susie and I like to call, and this is not biblical, but it's what we like to call co-living. That the environment in which you find yourself has an emphasis, whether it be written or unwritten, <coughs> an emphasis upon living according to a certain code. And we Christians have a, 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 a real knack of, of catching on, of picking up what the code is in that group. In fact, I, I'm convinced that many people choose churches uh, as they try to figure out what the code is. And then they find they discover, well, does that code match the code that I got? And if so, then I can live here. And gang, we mistake, I think, an outward conformity to law or laws. We mistake that as the real thing. And I say to you who are parents, you must be very careful in concluding that your child has the real thing when your child only has that which is conformity to outward behaviors, particularly when they're young. It's a, it's a, a communication, perhaps subtle, perhaps overt, that there is a code <coughs> that's to be observed. And I sat at my desk today and tried to I mean, I, I'm, I'm not trying to build a straw man and attack it. I'm saying that there is a mindset, a code that gets communicated. And I started thinking, all right, what do you have in mind? When you're talking about code living, what kinds of things are included in the code? And of course, they vary from group to group, and that's one of the things I want to say to you. But uh, um, one of the characteristics of code living is the desire to not embarrass myself. And for heaven's sakes... Don't let my children embarrass me. Stop them from doing any kind of behaviors that might bring my family shame. Uh, secondly, you distance yourself from all brands of known evil. Drinking. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I hope you don't ever hear me trying to promote drinking in here because I'm not. But I just want you to know that the Christian church in Europe laughs at us. They absolutely think we're ridiculous over our views of alcohol. Um, I know a church, ladies and gentlemen, that in their family suppers, when they start assigning um, people that you bring the meat, you bring the salad, and you bring the dessert, and you bring the wine. Now, that's, that's a code in their church. But normally in the, you know, the conservative folks, you've got to distance yourself from that kind of thing. Any kind of clothing that is outlandish, Mm, might embarrass mommy and daddy, so you can't wear that. Um, you, want, you want to distance yourself from certain people because, uh, you know, um, nice people don't hang out with that crowd. Thirdly, moms don't work. Um, there is a very high premium that is placed on the gentle, quiet spirit in our children and in our women. Um... You fourthly, you educate your, your children in Christian schools or perhaps home schools. That's a part of the code. Fifthly, you, you must vote Republican. <laughs> Sixth, 
you wouldn't be caught dead with FM 100 on your car radio. You only listen to Christian music. Um, you're in some kind of Bible study during the week, and you tote your Bibles to church. Um, no R-rated movies, or at least you certainly don't publicize that you went. I know another church that has in its church a group of people who study movies. They, they call it something. It's called the movie club or something like that. And they go to every movie that's out there. And, they, and, a, and one of the badges of spirituality in their group is that they do go to R-rated movies and come back and analyze them and bring back, a, you know. But uh, in most instances, you, you must stay away from R-rated movies. I'm not trying to encourage you to go there. I'm just trying to give you an idea of what I'm talking about when I say code living. Christian mothering. The mothers are put under certain pressure that certain things must be done by them. Breastfeeding is at the top of the list. You can't be very spiritual if you don't nurse. And if you're really spiritual, um, you might want to make your own food for your children. Or if not that, at least you need to shop at Wild Oats. Um, there was that ran through the Christian church. It's pretty much muted these days because it's been so highly debunked. A theory of raising your children. Um, the leader has been vilified in the Christian magazines. But that was a badge and a pressure that was put on mothers that they're supposed to raise their children in a certain way. Smoking. You don't want to be seen smoking. Guys, do you think I'm for smoking? But I'm just trying to tell you, when my children went to ECS, you wouldn't have been caught dead with a cigarette in your hand. Then they graduate from ECS and they go to Ole Miss. And you get into Ole Miss RUF, RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, and serious-minded believers are smoking like smokestacks. So there was a code change. We got traumatized in the code change. We thought the code was that, and we went down there, the code was different. It's code living, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm telling you, I, am, I, I hope you hear me. There are good, beneficial things about the code. Some of those things that I mentioned, and by the way, that, you could add to that list a, a, a multifold, I'm sure. But some of that list arises from the Scriptures, or at least is related to the Scriptures. For instance, staying away from R-rated movies. You know, there is a principle in the Scripture says that we're supposed to flee from youthful lusts. And that could be an application of that text. <clears throat> there are some good things that arise from the code. What I'm objecting to is that the code becomes the standard. And by it, spirituality is me measured. And by it, Christians are evaluated, judged, and accepted. But what happens? What happens to you if you're a pro-choice Democrat that is struggling with homosexual tendencies? Where do you go to church? We ain't got no place for you. Because you don't match our code. And when the code predominates, ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit's work 
is either forgotten or lost in the shuffle or undervalued or something. And what results is a ministry of death. Um, in that ministry of death, you find countless, in my opinion, countless violations of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Oh, but Jimmy, do you know that he voted for Bill Clinton? Do you honestly believe, ladies and gentlemen, that that is a factor? By, by the way, may the fleas of a thousand camels nest in your armpits if you voted for Bill Clinton. <laughs> um, but what I'm objecting to is... Is that vote, one way or the other, an indication of my spiritual life? And we draw conclusions about one's, the, the health of people's souls because of the code. They didn't match the code. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we are so rankly Republican in this place that I feel sorry for you if you're a Democrat. Not that you're wrong, but that we stand for, I mean, republicanism represents our, our values. Well, I'm telling you, no, they don't. You know, I, I, but is that a measure by which we can honestly evaluate spirituality? Well, you don't need the Holy Spirit's presence to do that. All you need is a group of moral policemen. And that's what happens in this ministry. Of, I want to read you one of the texts out of... Romans chapter 14, listen to this. This is, this is a devastating assessment, I think, of something that could happen in the Christian church. Listen. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. <clears throat> I think what Paul has done there is put side by side. All right, let's all agree now that we'll do no more judging of each other. Because if we find ourselves doing such a thing, then what we have done is put stumbling blocks in everybody's way. We haven't contributed to the overall health of their soul. We have contributed to their overall demise. If we find ourselves in the position of <clears throat> moral policemen. And gang, what is so ugly is that it's an arbitrary... Um, evaluation of another person's worth based on the code. You know, these moral policemen know how to direct traffic, but they, they seem to have forgotten how to care. And, and I, uh, it's a shame to me, and it should be to all of us, as my illustration pointed out, what does the pro-choice Democrat who's struggling with homosexual tendencies, what does he do? Would he feel comfortable among us? Or would he feel judged among us? Oh, my friends. You know, uh, I meant to bring it in here dead, coming. I forgot it. There is a book out that I read several years ago, and the title of the book is called Toxic Faith. And what this book does is that it takes, in, it, it, every chapter is an, 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 a new name of somebody. 
like Laura. Then Laura tells her story about why she no longer is around the church or in the church and why she left the whole thing. Not that she left a church and went to another. She, she, she left the whole kit and caboodle. And then you've got Joseph. And you, this whole book about toxic faith. Think about that. Think about that. Somebody entered our environment and the toxicity has driven them away. Now, I, I, hopefully, we couldn't be found guilty of that, but I'm not sure. But the, I, I'm telling you, we, because of our moral policemen, we have created, in, in many instances, neurotics. Do you know that there is an agency called Evangelicals Anonymous? It's the honest truth. Um, we begin to assign, I mean, this ministry of death that Paul, I think, mentions begins to assign motives to people's behavior. I know why you did that. Um, you know, we, we've had a lot of discussions. Um, I've been in a lot of discussions about judging and, and discernment and the differences between those two. And I, I know there's, there's a lot of, maybe some overlap from time to time, but I can tell you this much that I know is denounced in Matthew 7.1. I know this much is denounced. That you take on the prerogative that you think that you can examine my motives. You can't. And nor can I examine yours. I can examine your act. I can see, and if you have an affair, I can call you an adulterer because that's what an affair means. But I can't, I can't examine your motives for that. But somehow, in this ministry of death, we don't need the Holy Spirit to convict. We'll do it. We'll take over the task. And we, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I heard a man say one time, and um, I, I'm sure he was stating in an extreme, and, and, and I, 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 you're going to have to probably cut this in half some. But he said, don't ever, ever again talk to anybody about them being a sinner. And then he went on to say, because they already know it. Now, I don't know that that's true, but do you get the point? What we feel is our responsibility in the ministry of death is to show people how they failed in a ministry of condemnation, which in fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you succeed in doing so, I could probably, with a six-pack of beer, forget it in a, in a matter of hours. But if the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin, then we've got something good. Um, let me read you one other text out of Romans 14. But why do you judge your brother... Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, that is the scandal and the obscenity of the Christian church. That we are in a position that we can show contempt, that we can judge each other. It's never supposed to be our job. It is never supposed to be our job, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
I think I've told you this before, and I, keep, I know that I got this out of a book someplace. But I, it'd probably take me months to find, it where I, find out where I got it. But I've told you this before. The, um, the quote that uh, the Christian church is the only institution in America that shoots its own wounded. And then I go on to tell you who it was that said that first. Madeline Murray O'Hare. That is, when she looked at the Christian... By the way, have you seen Christianity Today? This month's issue about the... Um, the evangelical who is on the Simpsons. Has anybody ever seen, if you've seen the Simpsons, you probably ought not raise your hand in here. <laughs> Don't do that. But in that article, does anybody know his name? Um, Brother is something like that. And, but anyway, go, go look at what the Simpsons think about the evangelical church and how they represent us. It is utter buffoonery. And, and he is a classic illustration of the moral policeman, you know, judging everybody else's sin. Um, in this ministry of condemnation, because the Holy Spirit is not, is not given his right place, what we tend to do is promote a personal responsibility, a personal accountability. We, we promote an accountability to each other as opposed to an accountability to God. Um, that is, my behaviors, I'm more concerned about whether my, my behaviors are acceptable by my group than I am, are they pleasing to the God of heaven. Guys, um, if, if, you, if you want to publish a, a set of 40 favorite rules of Pharisees and me, you are free to do that. It's fine. Just don't publish those as the voice of God and try to make your rules normative for the rest of us. We, don't, we haven't been given that privilege to assigning rules. The rules have already been assigned. And our job is just to be faithful to those. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, God is fully capable of correcting his people. Um, he doesn't need our added criticisms. Um, if God is not fully capable, then you and I need to help. But um, I, I, I'm afraid that in this kind of world, there is more confidence in criticism than there is in um, prayer, in uh, trusting God. Um, we had a situation just like that um, where I handled a situation, um, and I'm not saying I handled it rightly. I'm not sure I did. I can say this. It turned out rightly. Now, that's not to vindicate that I handled it rightly, but very frankly, I could have handled it wrongly, and God just overlooked but I was getting phone calls and being told that I needed to unleash an attack. Well, um, I didn't do that. And, um, and it's, it's a long story. And, I, and if I told you the details, I, I wouldn't want to tell you the details. But, um, you know, the only responsibility that you and I share, that is, that we're supposed to um, be exercising among ourselves, 
is not critique and judgment. It is love. I'm supposed to be loving you. And you're supposed to be loving me back. And I know that's difficult. But it is easier to judge. It is easier to critique than it is to love. But that's what we've been asked to do. Not take over the Holy Spirit's role and uh, do His work for Him. He doesn't need you. Um, now, are we called to live faithfully? You know, all those things are, you know, are true. But assuming the prerogatives that we're going to go do the Holy Spirit's work for Him, I think is a characteristic of, a, of, of legalism where the Holy Spirit's ministry is devalued. I want to read you one other thing. It's just three paragraphs. It came out of a Dallas Willard book, and I'm going to read you the, all three paragraphs because this is, an, this is a very interesting observation, one that I have never had, but um, you might find it interesting, and we'll close with this. Legalism is superstition. The legalistic tendencies found throughout our religious and cultural life also thrust us toward superstition. Legalism claims that overt action in conforming to rules for explicit behavior is what makes us right and pleasing to God and worthy of blessing. Jesus called legalism the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Legalism, superstition, and magic are closely joined by their emphasis on controlling people and events. Legalists are forced toward superstitious behavior because in the interest of controlling life through their laws, they depart from the natural connections of life. <coughs> they bypass the realities of the heart and soul from which life really flows. That is why Jesus tells us we must go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees if we are truly entered into life. Life does not come by law, nor can law adequately depict or guide life. The law is the letter, and the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Legalists are ever more forced into merely symbolic behavior, which they superstitiously suppose to have the good effects they seek. Magic, or superstition as is well known, also place absolute emphasis on doing everything just right which is the essence of legalism. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing... Well, I, maybe that's an overstatement, and I'm good at overstatements. Forgive me. Um, but there are very few things more dangerous than liberty. Because invariably, inevitably, somebody's going to abuse it. But ladies and gentlemen, I would rather have to deal with people who are abusing the liberty they have because the Holy Spirit prevails than live under a condemnation, a, a ministry of death that I think squeezes the life out of people as the leadership seeks to control. That's one of the... Uh, what I consider to be the real ugly sides of legalism. Let's quit, and we'll come back in a couple of weeks. Our Father, I, I do pray that what uh, these people have heard has been somewhat accurate. 
If I have erred, I pray that you will stop up their ears and cause them to walk out of here remembering nothing. But where there has been uh, truth relayed, I pray that you will use it to liberate us all. Because where the Holy Spirit prevails, where He dominates, where He abides, where He lives, there's liberty. But where code living is the emphasis, there is bondage and death and condemnation. Oh God, may that never be true of Gracie Van. Father, for the messes that we create because we abuse liberty, forgive us. And help us to correct those along the way as well. But it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Might we as your people enjoy the freedom that has been purchased for us by blood. We commit ourselves to that and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.